Hello, welcome to the D&D Roundtable presented by The Tome Show. I'm your host, James Intercasso. Please use the affiliate links on thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com, click on the links in the show notes for this episode or any other, and then shop as you normally would. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. They're a brick-and-mortar game store that also exists online. They have all editions of many games, even out-of-print products. With Noble Knight, you can even sell back your old gaming products that you aren't using anymore. Let's hear a quick word from them. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, even Saturday, Noble Knight is a brick-and-mortar game store. Support small businesses that also exists online open 24-7 on the web they have D&D and other cool RPGs any edition any game even out of print products and at a discounted price that's out of control have a bunch of old game products collecting dust dangerous allergen Noble Knight will buy the old stuff you aren't using anymore. Looking at you, Indiana Jones RPG. So go to NobleKnight.com and get by it and sell it. Take back your life and tell them the Tone Show sent you. Today, we're talking about the first season of D&D Encounters with the 5th edition rule set. Let's meet the panel. Panelists. Please let us know where and how you participate in organized play for D&D. Let's start with you, Topher Cohen. Hey, I'm Topher Cohen. I am um, in Smyrna, Georgia, and I help organize the, the Adventures League at Titans Game to Comics in Smyrna, Smyrna, Georgia. Come by and see us. And speaking of Titans Games and Comics in Smyrna, Georgia, Mike Lonow. Well, I uh, manage Titan Games and Comics. I've done so for uh, about 28 years. Uh, basically uh, use the opportunity that uh, Wizards of the Coast provided for a D&D encounters uh, along with Topher and uh, set up a couple of league encounters. Well, Mike, we're very excited to have you on the show. You, of course, are doing the Lord's work running a game store. Joe Lestowski, where and how do you participate in organized play? Uh, well, I'm up in Western Massachusetts, and I run the organized play for Modern Myths, uh, Comics, and Games in Northampton, Massachusetts. Um, encounters expeditions and a whole lot of other stuff and uh i've been doing that since i want to say the second or third season of encounters for fourth edition you know guys before we get to our get to know you question i just want to take a moment and say thank you really truly uh from everybody you are the people who are introducing new players to the game and encouraging them to stay on and what i know about you three are you're friendly you're charismatic you're awesome guys, and you're the perfect people to be introducing others to what is my favorite hobby. So thank you very, very much for, for taking that on. Um, these guys give up hours of their week every week to make sure that people really enjoy playing the game. Um, it's above and beyond what a normal DM does. So if you ever see these people or if you participate in organized play and you have a dm or a an organizer that you really like make sure you reach out and say hey thanks for that today's get to know you question is what is your favorite adventurers league faction let's start with you tofer this is going to sound at least to me this is the obvious choice because it was the most popular at our store but it's the harpers and i think 
it's the Harpers because, as I've said on this podcast before, and as James has publicly made fun of me when <laughs> he and I used to play together, was that I'm a huge lore nerd for Forgotten Realms, and the Harpers are such an integral part of early lore, early book lore for the realms that I'm such a huge fan. And I think it's the one I know the most and I know the best. Nice, nice. I, I'm a big Harper's fan too. Uh, Mike Lonow, what is your uh, favorite Adventurers League faction? The Harpers are fantastic, but I tell you personally, uh, I I really love the Lords Alliance. I think that mm. it offers a lot of uh, cool RPG uh, initiatives that that the others don't. You can be spies, and bodyguards, and soldiers, and whatnot. Uh, lots of political intrigue, economic intrigue. I think it's it's just meaty. It's uh, something that I think that a lot of people might overlook. The Lord's Alliance, I do think, is oft overlooked, and a great one at that. Uh, and Joe Lestowski, what is your favorite faction? Well, you know, I, I, I have to agree with Mike as far as the Lord's Alliance, just because they reminded me of the technocracy from uh, Old White Wolf Gaming. They were like, we want to make sure the right people are in power all the time, and that, that kind of resonated with me on some level but i gotta go with the emerald enclave uh mm. because i've always had a soft spot for druids as we know from our terask takedown uh, podcast that we did there <laughs> um and uh just sort of the the idea of a group that's trying to work with the natural world you know to, to, to keep things in order and and keeping keeping nature in mind as they do so uh kind of appealed to me so let's talk about it guys this was the first official 5e encounters season how was it different than 4th edition and playtest encounters that were happening before that? Let's start with you, Topher. I felt like there was new energy. I really did. I felt like we got a lot of new people in the store um, mm-hmm. because of the new edition and a lot of press. Watsy did, had a lot of good press leading up to this about the new edition. And so there was people, old players, Pathfinder players, 3-5 players, 4th edition players showing back up who wanted to, you know, get their hands wet. Uh, we had four full tables just for character building night. Wow. Yeah, and so it was good. It was really good. We had, um, th- I think there was a lot of new energy. I think the the idea that you can, I think some people really like the idea that you can finish encounters and then move on to the hardbound books and continue running at home. I, I think that they liked that they felt like they're part of a bigger thing. Nice. Well, and that's good to hear that uh, that there were a lot of people showing up. Uh, did those people stay? Did you have four full tables then continuously? Yeah. Um, we It actually got stronger as the season went on. For the last couple, we've just finished chapter three, and for the last couple of chapter three, we had our biggest nights ever. We were, we were at max capacity, body-wise, we could fit into the store. Wow. And about how many people is that? Uh, 28. Wow. Wow, man. Man. There, there were times 20, where we got 32 30. people, though. Joe, uh, how do you feel that fourth edition Encounters differs from this current season of Encounters? I mean, obviously, they're different editions, so there's different rules and whatnot. Um, the biggest thing, though, in, in starting characters and people that were brand new and sitting down at the table, when I would run fourth edition and they'd sit down with their character, they'd see that they had a lot of a lot of options, a lot of things they could do. And when I ran a first-level 5th edition character, someone who had never played before, sitting down at the table, they sometimes felt like they had fewer options or, or they were less less willing to try and do crazy heroic things because it was very easy to die at lower levels in 5th edition. Um, and and that, was, that was sort of the, the biggest initial thing was that all of the folks that had played 4th edition tried 
using their characters in the way that they use their fourth edition characters and suddenly found themselves with zero hit points. And, and I think our first three or four sessions, we always had at least one person get dropped to nothing, um, if not more than one. And and that you know was really tough as a DM too because you don't want to you know new program you don't want to be killing characters off. But um, fortunately, faction charity helped them out with that. Uh, but the other the other big difference that we saw was in the magic items. Uh, fourth edition had built into their math the idea that you were supposed to have so many magic items uh, as you went up, and fifth edition very much does not have that. In fact, the encounters, the first three chapters there has any magic items in it. Um, other than healing potions, and and folks initially felt like they were being cheated or they hadn't done the right thing to find wherever the plus one sword was. And I had to, no, that's the way it's written. It's okay. You can, it, it's all right. We can keep going forward. You don't need to get that sword after the first two fights. But that was that was a big difference too with folks that were used to fourth edition trying to make that conversion. Do you feel like once people had their thinking adjusted into this new rule set after those initial sessions, do you feel like they made that adjustment well, or are they still feeling like they should get magic items, and are they still running into battle gung-ho, sure that they can defeat everything? I think for the most part, people have adjusted. Uh, They're still begging me for magic items all the time, especially since the Dungeon Master Guide came out, and many (laughs) of them purchased it and saw all the cool magic items they could be getting. Um, which obviously in, in encounters, we're not supposed to be adding in magic items to treasure hordes and things. So that's, that's been a, uh, an, an interesting thing for some of the, you know, you get certain players that want to get the, the most, I don't want to call them min maxers. Let's say they want to get the most numerical, uh, benefit from their, uh, experience. And, uh, those, those people, yeah, they are, they sure are. So those, some of those some of those players have been an interesting challenge uh, now that they know that all these magic items exist and are out there. Uh, but the, for the most part, I think people have made the conversion okay. They, they've made the, the switch over and they understand that this edition is uh, requires less in the way of, of plus one or plus two magic items to in order to hit a certain enemy kind of thing. I don't know if you saw this, Joe, but I saw it as it's easier for brand new players to get into the game than it was with the fourth edition encounters. And the mm. reason it was that they felt like everybody was learning at the same time, the DMs and all the players. There was no grognard, quote-unquote, sitting at the table who knew every rule by heart. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I think you can do that. Hold on. Let's look in the rules real quick. Yep, yep, there it is. This is how you do it. Everybody cool with that? Great, let's move on. You know, it, there wasn't a lot of, like, during the end of 4th edition where somebody was just reciting rules off the top of their head. And new players felt, I think, at least from my experience, felt a little bit intimidated. That is true. That is true. I did. I did notice that with everybody learning, it, it puts everyone on the same level to start off with. Uh, Mike, from a managerial perspective, or how has this past season of encounters differed from the ones that came before? You know, are you seeing a, a boost in sales and products on the nights that encounters come out? Are people buying the, uh, you know, the Rise of Tiamat adventure path? because they want to continue with what's going on and Horde of the Dragon Queen and that sort of thing? Are you seeing an increase in sales uh, as opposed to the 4th edition Knights of Encounters? Uh, we're definitely seeing an increase in sales. I think I think the important difference between the previous season and this season is that WotC's gone out of their way to make a concerted effort to promote encounter play. As a result, uh, we've had, seen an influx of brand new players. We're coming in at a rate that we never had before for encounters. I, I think that a lot of uh, those players were interested in getting core product, 
I don't think they were necessarily interested in getting like the rise of Tiamat or anything like that because it didn't. That wasn't something that embellished their play of the game, and I don't know that they would walk back to their houses and play those type of uh, that type of adventure. I think they uh, would go a little bit more old schoolish and uh, come up with their own stuff. And there, there's also a lot of peripheral sales that people don't really think about. Uh, dice, our dice sales are up because of fourth edition. Uh, sorry, fifth edition. Fifth edition has kind of had this weird sort of uh, uh, rock in a pond kind of uh, rippling effect. It's uh, it's actually not only helped itself, but I believe it's helped other games as well. Th- this this season, more than any other event that we've had for D and D with Wizards of Coast doing this. Um, has seen to generate a type of excitement over uh, not only the product, but the plot behind it. People talking about the Tiamat stuff. Uh, previous seasons, while well, the, the Encounter people at that session were talking about things, they weren't really... You never saw these people come back in the shop and talk about this other than when those sessions were running. And uh, it's, uh, it's a level of excitement that I just... I was actually quite taken aback by. It's really stunning, really, what they managed to pull off with this. I think that uh, D&D has always been a gateway for uh, uh, role-playing to other systems. People are hungry, and, and want, if they're going to express interest in playing D&D, they're willing to play just about anything that's out there. Once they got over the initial excitement of 5th uh, edition, it's not like they're going to walk away from 5th edition, or, but they are definitely looking around at other things. Fate is a great example of something I think has really done well. Uh, from uh, the success of 5th edition. Um, Pathfinder, obviously, still has done extremely well. I think wherever D&D goes, I think that it's probably going to take everybody along with it. And that's just a good thing for the industry. Some of the the sort of... um add-on products I've seen also selling not incredibly well, but but steadily things like um, the uh, the Dungeon Dragons miniatures that they put out uh, along with 5th edition, the, um, the D&D Attack Wing, the uh, sort of dragon-on-dragon dogfighting game, um, even, even things that are just kind of related to D&D like the uh, Pathfinder uh, card-based uh, game that's out there, the, I forget, Rise of the Rune Lords and Skulls and Shackles. Um, Things like that uh, I've seen selling steadily to the people that come to encounters. Um, so I think there's there's people are excited about the idea of fantasy role playing as well, and they want to experience it in different ways, uh, other than even just sitting around a role playing table. They think, okay, well I've got encounters. That's how I do the regular role playing. What other cool things can I do with it? Joe, let me ask you a question. Are you know Mike and Topher have talked about seeing attendance rise at Titans. Are you seeing attendance rise as well? Um, we've had a, I you know I don't want to say overall numbers are up incredibly, but um, we've had a lot more new people coming in. Uh, it used to be when we ran encounters with Fourth Edition after a couple seasons after it wasn't new anymore. You got the same people all the time, and maybe once a season you'd get two or three new people, but that was about it. And with 5th edition, we've seen a, a steady stream of new people uh, pretty frequently, um, and I think that's that's partially due to some of the other media that, that Topher mentioned, uh, some of the different articles that have been out there, and just sort of the, the general buzz about this new edition. Um, but, it, you know, some of, the, some of the people that have tried it out for a little while, they end up not coming back for whatever reason. And I don't think it's because they hate the edition. I just think, you know, people can't always make it to, to, uh, 
to a particular session, but we have seen a lot more new people, I think, with this new edition. So how are people then reacting to this new system of implementing encounters? I know it doesn't quite have the straightforward everybody runs through the same exact encounter that um you know that that you had in fourth edition it sounds like you know parties can pick and choose the way that they tackle problems and they they might encounter some things that other parties don't and and vice versa and that sort of thing so what are you thinking Topher? how has that sort of um you know it's not a quite uniform across all the tables experience affected the encounters experience I think it's done two things. One, it's made a little harder for brand new DMs to just walk right in. Uh, I had to really kind of lay out for my DMs that this chapter is going to take this many weeks. And if you run through the content before then, you can't go on to the next chapter because we need all of us to move to, to at each table to move to the next chapter uniform in a u- uniform manner. Mm, yep. Um, and so what I ended up doing was saying, okay, this is the very first encounter you will do, and this is the very last encounter you will do. In between, it doesn't matter. But now the downside of that is it really minimized the amount of table moving. So once you sat at a table for a week or two, you kind of felt like that was your table, and these were your your fellow players, and it's it a little home game-esque. Mm-hmm. And you know, not that that's bad. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing bad with that. But I really part of what I liked about encounters was you could walk in with a literally nothing and sit down at any table and someone would, you know, have a pregen for you and some dice and a pencil and you could play D and D that became a little harder as the season went on because, you know, somebody would, you know, because we had some odd nights because of, you know, holidays or vacations or whatever, we had to move players around to make tables even. And there were people moving the tables and replaying encounters because the table they usually sat at had already gotten past that. So that was a little bit of a downside. Um, but all in all, I mean, I think it's, it is what it is. Watsy, I think we're getting a better encounter product because Watsy is giving us a product they can also sell as a module for home games. And as long as they do that, we're, it's going to be this way. So I think it's a trade-off. And it's a trade-off that as an organizer and as a lead DM like Joe and myself and, and you know, Mike and running a store, we're just going to have to work around it. I think it's it's created and much of 5th edition has done this. It's It's... Fifth edition has either put more power in the DM's hands or given the DM a lot more work to do, uh, depending on how you want to look at it. But um, all the DMs at my store, we send an email around the day of saying, okay, this is what we're all going to try to do in today's session so that we're all basically in the same area. And if one group goes a little faster, a little slower, you know, we, 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 we balance it out. But we, we've tried to, even though there's, there's more of an open... Uh, more open options uh, in this season. We've at least tried to stick it together and, and kind of not really railroad, but guide players in a direction so that they'll be in a similar place uh, as the other tables. So if we have to have somebody jump one table to the other, it's not, it's not a complete, you know, they're not redoing a session they've already done or it's not, you know, we, we try to, you know, you give players the option of choice, but in the end they end up doing something that's similar enough to what the other tables are doing that it's not that, um, and that was tougher prior to the monster manual coming out because we didn't know, you know, how to balance. Oh, if they went up against a different kind of monster, what would we what would we throw against them? What would we do that for? Um, and you know, we haven't been rewriting whole adventures, but but it's been nice uh, now that those the monster manual and the DMG are available. Um, that if we need to go off kilter, for for instance, 
the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we had one table's worth of people show up and I was running an adventure that I didn't want to run something critical because everyone else that wasn't there that was off with their families would miss out on whatever this critical bit of plot was. So we had them discover a Yonti temple uh, hidden beneath the, uh, the, the caves that the, the dragon eggs are in. Um, and the auntie were were uh, were cooking some giant uh, owl or something that that uh, they were they were getting ready to rise and try to attack the cult of the dragon and the players happened in on them and so they ended up defeating the auntie and enjoying their Thanksgiving dinner as the like treasure and then they went back up and they found a secret door that led right into where the roper was in those caves and that was that you know they went right back in as if nothing had happened but they got this cool little side adventure that we were able to do because we had those other. Uh, tools available to sort of balance out okay what monsters can we throw at them here yeah so joe we did kind of the same thing you did but we did it on that the end of chapter three. Oh yeah 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 my my one cap my one like downside of this season is the fact that what was supposed to be the end of the season was and you go back to town yeah and you turn everything in and i was like that's not how i want these players to end it so uh i a- added to a couple um dragon cultists and a black dragon uh-huh. That they were coming back to get their eggs. Oh. And they feel, realized, at least at the tables, it, it, most of our tables, they had either destroyed or, or you know, done something with the eggs. So the, it, it made a really good kind of end of season, big epic, you know, let the players fight a, a dragon at the end of the season. So I think you're right. I think because without the, the monster manual, without the DMG, I don't know if I would have attempted to write that up for everybody. And see, to me, that's kind of interesting. Like, I I understand the problem with people having to shuffle tables around and and that sort of thing. And that can be frustrating, especially if you have to replay an encounter. But it's also neat that because it's not so rigid, you can throw in extra little moments like that. And and I really like to see that. And I think that's in the spirit of D&D, right? Like, Like, that would be... A lot harder to capture in the fourth encounters to to sneak something in like that, um, and I, I like that you're able to do that in this one. Uh, Mike, what are your feelings on the way encounters are are run and set up? Um, you know, and and you don't necessarily have that uniform game across tables. I think when you're looking at it as uh, an effort to bring in new players. I think it's inevitable that there's going to be some disjointed play at different tables. Um, I'm incredibly lucky that I have Topher there to help me uh, organize the players and smooth over the sessions for that. Uh, Topher takes the lead on that. He pulls uh, all the GMs together and and tries to make sure that it, it feels like a coherent um, series of sessions for the various different players that come in. But I, I, I would think that it would be really, really hard uh, to write uh, the encounters and and come up with every possible variation of where everybody might end in any given session. So I think it's in this, like you said earlier, it's in the spirit of D&D. People are coming up with their own ways to make sure that everybody essentially ends up in the same place at any given time. Um, Mike, I wondered as, as, a, as a store owner, um, what you felt like the... Uh, sort of communication from Wizards of the Coast about this season? Was it, was it easy as somebody running a space where this happens? Did you, did you feel like you got the information you needed when you needed it? Or, or do you know, you know what's going to go on with the next season? Have, have you gotten a lot of information about that yet? Or, or I'm just curious because I haven't. And, and No, we, we have not. <laughs> um, early on uh, with uh, this current season starting, uh, they were very forthcoming. Um, 
towards, uh, I guess I want to say, uh, the beginning of December, that began to slow down. Um, and uh, there's not been a lot of information forthcoming. There's There's been some weird problems with uh, the uh, WPN uh, reporting tools mm-hmm. uh, uh, of late. And uh, we've had some things that we know we scheduled that weren't quite scheduled. And, um, you know, obviously with the holidays, there are breaks that need to be taken. So things weren't scheduled during that time period. But uh, it's it's weird. I don't know. I mean, maybe they were kind of in a downtime themselves so that the, there's not a lot of feedback. Uh, you know what's interesting to me is that, Mike, you have Topher helping you out. And, Joe, I know you help out that your store owner as well. I, I yep. wonder if a lot of stores have people who are sort of dedicated to helping them out with the encounters program, you know, Topher is not even going to be DMing. He's going to be running around and, and, and helping out here and there and, and keeping things running. And I wonder if that head DM coordinator position is something sort of standard uh, because things are not as uniform as they were in 4E. I think that they, that it's a necessity, really. I think that somebody does have to take the lead for this. And I don't think, uh, store managers or owners can always do so you you kind of have to serve several masters when you're doing that and you've got uh, different companies vying for your attention oh I, I want my whiz kids to run these events and i want you know ffg wants us to run these events and the the ability to, to have people that you can rely on that can do those things competently is uh, very important i i mean i literally literally lucked in to Topher being the person that handled the <laughs> D&D encounters for us. Uh, I couldn't imagine anybody else doing a better job. No offense to anybody else, but he's been spectacular. Well, I mean, I've gotten super lucky. It's a weird, um, and I bet you, Joe, now, Joe, you work at your store now, right? I do now. I didn't when I started, but I, right. I do now. So when you didn't work there, it's a weird line to walk because you are a representative of the store, mm-hmm. right? I, I am the face, to many people, I am the face of Titans, when they come in to play encounters, even though I'm just a dude who hangs out there and buys comic books and plays some games. Um, and you know, so it's a weird thing. You know, I make sure I'm always in contact with, with Mike and Katie and, and the people who, um, work there. A- any decision I make, there's no unilateralism unless I have to make it on the spot. I always go and talk to them because it's, you know, it's their business. It's their livelihood. I'm just, again, a guy who plays some games, but the other side of the coin is the fact that you know, having a uh, a manager like Mike and having Katie, who's the game manager, those they've given me that 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 like um, latitude to kind of go in and kind of run it. And I don't think I think it's not just having someone in my position or Joe's position, but having someone that has the full support of management, because you know Mike and Katie and and James and and Daniel and all the employees there, they can't be back there all the time, and they have to have somebody who can say no, that's not okay, you can't do that, whether it's in game or just being a gamer. <laughs> I, I think that's really true. Um, my my store manager, uh, Jim Crocker, he actually runs two different stores, one in Massachusetts and one in New York. Um, and uh, he asks us to email him after each session to let him know what happened. And when there's been issues, he's always been able to, you know, pipe in and, and uh, give us some advice about, about ways we might approach it differently or how we might deal with, you know, if there's a difficult customer or there's a, you know, couple players that seem to want to disrupt the adventure, how best to deal with those from a store standpoint. And I think definitely our, our, our jobs, Topher, as, as coordinators are, are greatly made easier by having support uh, up above from management. 
So, guys, speaking of management, let's talk about management of the PCs, specifically oh. Oh, within their Adventurers League factions. These are the factions, of course, we talked about earlier. Um, a, a very big deal was made by Wizards of the Coast about these five factions, and that if you were a player, it was to your benefit to choose a faction. You didn't have to, but if you were going to be in the Adventurers League, you should, because you were going to get all these fancy things, maybe some extra support for your character and some side quests and, and fun little tactile things, name cards and stuff that you could could put out. Um, and I know, Joe, you had said earlier and before we had started the podcast and Topher and Mike, you guys agreed that the factions, they're not really doing anything with them, or at least they haven't within this first season of Encounters. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about that? What specifically is your disappointment, Joe? And and how do you think they could handle it going forward? Um, well, it feels sort of like the faction is is a thing to add on that was meant to allow new players to feel like they were part of a group. At each table that I've seen at my store, the group that they've become a part of has been the group of players at that table. And so the the sort of minor differences they might have because this guy claims to be a Zentarum and this guy is a Harper and this like none of those really lasted beyond maybe the first session of introducing their characters and after that it was just like the okay We've got to stop these kobolds. We've got to stop these cultists. How do we do that together? What's the best way to do that? Um, and so it's it's really it it felt after after a little while it felt like just something that was there that they could put on their sheet that didn't mean anything. And and I think that if they want to make it more exciting in the future, I think giving characters actual benefit for for being a part of a different faction um, would help and I know there's been one or two times uh, where there's been an NPC that says oh if there's somebody as part of this faction this NPC can react favorably towards them but in reality the bard is the one that talks to everybody anyway because he's got the highest charisma and it doesn't matter what faction he's in um, so so I, I think maybe maybe planning those those little moments out so that characters actually get a genuine benefit from being in a faction might might make them more relevant at the table. Uh, uh, what do you think, Mike? I think that uh, factions were a great uh, role-playing tool for people. I think the intention was to add a, uh, a more, uh, more of a presence for the campaign setting and to allow people to uh, get themselves tied to that. But uh, no real follow through other than as uh, James said or Joe said earlier uh, uh, occasionally you might have an NPC that reacts favorably to them uh, they didn't do the things that I think they intended to do I think it was one of these great ideas but not executed in the best of ways mm. um, there's a lot I mean there's a lot of meat that can be gotten out of this and I think that uh, because of maybe time constraints or uh, things not being completely in stone uh, when they were going ahead with the encounters, we didn't really see what they intended us to see from uh, the inclusion of the factions. And I wonder if we we will be seeing more in the future. I, I really hope so. Um, you know, it was reading through the adventures and everything. It seemed very odd, and and some of the faction stuff that was in there also seemed a little forced. Um, you know, so so I'm hoping that uh, in the future we we will see some better execution. But it does sound like 
people, at least at your store, Mike, were using them to role play. There was, there was um, the, the role playing aspect. I think, I mean, I shouldn't say I think, I know I saw people at tables who said, well, I'm going to make this decision because that would fall within my faction. I mm. saw that. So that was, um, that was great. That was good. Uh, I think the folders they gave the faction members were fantastic. Um, to a T, everyone who got a folder still uses their little tent card with their player's name on it and their character's name on it. That's, those things are great. I think you know, they, they still like those. And I see people pull them out and pull their character sheets and their adventures, leg logs at them and all that great stuff. And during expeditions, I've seen it more than ex- in expeditions that there's been more tie-in to the factions. There's been absolutely specifically, mm. hey, you if you've so much your table with this faction, then pull them aside and they have a little side quest. And I think that's worked really well in the expeditions that we've run through so far. Uh, that said, <laughs> I want to first state that I love Watsi, I love Wizard of the Coast, I love Dungeon Dragons. It's my favorite game in the world. <laughs> but it comes back to once again the five guys in the basement tried to reach for the stars and barely got to Connecticut. <laughs> um, and we've seen it time and time again in encounters. We saw it with the, we saw it with the encounter cards. We saw, we saw it with the, the drow houses. We saw it. We've seen it again and again. The concept is great. The, the, the beginning of the execution is great. And then for whatever reason, whether it was what Mike said, not set in stone, or if it was a logistics issue or a manpower issue or whatever it is, it just fell flat. And, and you know, everybody's talking about, oh, well, we got these renowned points. What do we do with the renowned points? You write them down on your sheet because hopefully someday they'll tell us what to do with them. I think that the factions may have also suffered a little bit with players that remember uh, the fourth edition seasons um, may have suffered from the fact that some of those previous seasons had attempts at factions that worked poorly. Uh, you had the drow uh, where every faction was literally trying to undermine the other two factions. And so none of the players trusted each other. A lot of people were sour about that. You had, um, was it Baldur's Gate where you had different depending on which which group you were serving, you had sort of a different kind of fact. It wasn't really a faction, but it wanted to be. And there, there were a number, of, a number of times like that where people have seen attempts to divide the party work poorly. And so they haven't, at least in my store, I haven't seen them really embracing this latest attempt. And so I think as, as well-intentioned as this 5th edition uh, faction thing was it suffered from the fact that fourth edition didn't do it as well and people remember that Mm -hmm. well and it is you know when you have factions like the zentarum if they have a goal that say does not align with the goal of the harpers or of the lord's enclave that that could be a problem especially since a member of the zentarum i could see saying something like my character would stab you in the back to get this job done you know that sort of thing mm-hmm. um, and and that's certainly a thing that you want to avoid and i'm sure watsi wants to avoid and everything so so it probably is a more complex issue as well that they have gotten themselves into It'll be interesting to see what comes of the future with this so, guys, when we're looking at encounters, um, what would you do differently? If you were Mike Merles or Chris Tulak in charge of the Adventurers League and you could do whatever you wanted going forward, what would you change about the encounters program so far? And what would you keep the same? I probably would change. Uh, you know, there seems to be a lot of uh, gaps uh, between... Uh, you know, there's a lot that's been left up to to the individual stores and the people running the encounters to uh, fill uh, time, so to speak. 
Um, I think that uh, rather than just saying, okay, well, this season's going to end about here. We're going to have, you know, X amount of weeks that, you know, you guys need to do whatever. They, they need to really plan for that. If you, you start off so strong and for it to just uh, end up meandering uh, seems to not uh, really help you continue to develop the community that you've already built. Uh, so I, I would focus on that. Uh, keep it strong. Uh, you know, marathon it. Mm-hmm. Don't don't uh, short distance sprint it. Mm-hmm. I think that's good advice. Topher, what about you? I, I would really want more feedback. If I was Mike Merrill's and I was Tulak, I would want more feedback from the, the people in the stores physically running. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's a form, a locked form that you've got to go through your store to get into. Whether it's an email or a, you know, okay, so we know because of your Watsi, because your um, DCI number that you're DMing. So we're going to, and we have your email address. So we're going to send you this survey every two weeks that mm-hmm. we, we would love for you to fill out and get feedback from and then have them reach out and have more communication. I think one of the big frustrating things we had, I've had, is, you know, the frustration of what do we do? How do we handle this? You know, the, the guys at the Adventurers League. Uh, blog Robert and those guys have done a great job getting us information, but the nuts and bolts of running a weekly uh, organized play, public organized play, is kind of left up to Watsi, and that's I think a little bit where it's lacking. I think it's the lack of two way communication between the people physically running. The first thing I do, I think I would send a huge um, monetary bonus to uh, our friend Robert, who runs the D and D Adventures <laughs> League uh, online presence there, because through that. Yes. Oh my God. do amazing work. Yes, and, uh, Robert Robert Aducci, who has been on the show before and is a wonderful human being. Uh, he should get all of the money in the world for all of the hard work that he is doing. That guy is amazing. Yes, and, and having read through some of the Facebook forums and things, I, I don't know how he puts up with some of that, but... Uh, <laughs> but besides that, um, I think I would... I would instruct the writers to focus more on letting the players be heroes and 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 letting the story focus more around the players being heroes and i understand there are large this giant rise of tiamat storyline that uh the players have to take one small part in but um tofer i think we talked about before how the ending of the the chapter three which is the end of the official encounter season is just and you guys go back to the town and rest up and there's no real sort of sense of you've accomplished anything, you've really done anything exciting. It's there's not a big fight at the end. There's not a you know, it, it, you don't even get a magic item. There's there's no like, hey, because you did this great thing, here's your great heroic reward. Uh, and I think I would I would just ask the writers to try and focus on that more because that from a from a storyteller's perspective has been the hardest thing for me is to find ways to to make the adventures to make the players at my table really feel like what they're doing matters and they're doing things that will have a, a dramatic effect on the world around them kind of thing. And not just you're one little piece in this larger thing that also plays out at expeditions and also at conventions that you probably will never go to. And then there might be a storyline at the end of it. If you buy the hardcover, like I, I, I would, I would like to see encounters have some, some level of, of its own, heroic entity so that those players that can only come to encounters can still feel when it's all done with like, Hey, we mattered. We were, we were really important. I think you hit it on the head, Joe. I think it suffers a little bit because they took the beginning, which was a adventure path that took you from one all the way to top level. Mm -hmm. 
So we're the encounters. You're getting a taste. You're, you're giving. It's like watching a sneak preview for a movie. Uh, unlike a sneak preview, you're going to see some epic scenes from late in the movie. Here, we're only seeing the epic scenes from the first act of the movie, and I think that it it suffers a little bit. Uh, again, I go back to if this is how we get great written. Let's face it, this season is written way better than some of the stuff we got in fourth edition. That was written specifically for encounters, right? And so I, and nothing against those people who wrote them. I, we, we, we the three of us or four of us are friends with of, of a good portion of those people <laughs> and have respect for them and know them and we know they're very talented, right? But I think that Wizard was trying to pump out material very quickly for fourth for encounters, and I think we got some of the best written encounters we've ever gotten from a yes. story point of view. But I think that the players suffered a little bit because we only get the first. This season of Encounters for Many has officially ended because they've reached the end of Chapter 3. And we're probably not going to see something until March. We don't have official word from Wizards yet, but we know that that's probably when this Princes of the Apocalypse uh, you know, adventure path is going to come out, and everyone's assuming that's when the next official encounter season will start. In our last podcast we did about the Adventurers League, when Robert Aducci was on, we talked about things that people could do between now and then. Um, sounds like a lot of people are planning on continuing Horde of the Dragon Queen. Um, you know, as as a as casual play experience, it's not officially encounters, but it is officially organized play. Um, so, uh, uh, what are you guys planning on doing at your various stores? Joe, let's start with you. Um, well, we're going to try and we, we mapped out every week until the middle of March when we're assuming the new product is going to be out. And, um, we're just going to try to cram through the, the remaining, was it four or five chapters, um, as sort of a, a highlight reel. So we, we've looked through it and said, okay, these are the these are some of the encounters that we think are are, are key to getting the storyline down uh, because we do want our players to have that epic Sky Castle exciting uh, finale, um, and so we're we're just going to try to try to work our way through it. And certain things like there's a whole chapter where the party literally spends forty days on the road full of random encounters that you can just sit there on your wagon spending 40 days on the road. Um, so some of that we're going to speed through, but some of the other stuff, I think uh, there's, there's plenty of good stuff in the rest of the hardcover. And it's, it's a little frustrating because all of our DMS have to buy the hardcover, but in reality, most of us have bought it already anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, we're going to, we're going to hammer our way through till the end of Horde of the Dragon Queen. And then with my uh, expeditions group, uh, which has finished all of the levels one through four expeditions, and there's only one level five through ten expedition available right now. Uh, once they finish that, they're going to go into Rise of Tiamat, and I'm mm. going to adjust that for them uh, so that they have the chance. And some of them are the same players that come to Encounters as well, but uh, there's also a different group that can't make it on Wednesday nights, so they come to our Monday night expeditions. They're going to go through Rise of Tiamat and try to see if they can uh, go along that storyline as well. We put it to a vote at our store. I asked each each table to tell their DM. Did, I gave them two options: one to continue through as far as we could get in the uh, uh, Horde of the Dragon King, uh, Queen hardcover, mm-hmm. or did they want to go run start at level one and run through the adventure from the beginner box? Almost unanimously, there were a couple people who voted for the beginner box. Almost unanimously, unanimously, the players voted to continue doing Horde of the Dragon Queen. Which has been great, which has been fantastic. Now I agree with you, Joe. Um, luckily, my I'm adding three three new DMs, 
So three people are rotating off. I'm one of them who's rotating off. Mm-hmm. Two of them are brand new to DMing. So that's going to be great. The downside is they've had to buy the hardbound, which is, you know, neither here nor there. But if they're going to DM, they're probably going to run this at home. So they're probably going to use the book anyways. So I don't feel too bad about that. And the price point isn't killer. So, yeah. And, you know, we're going to run through that. We're going to, um, we had one of our GMs um, step up and kind of map out for us how we're going to get through the next four, four or five weeks. And um, we're kicking off on the seventh. And, you know, I'm kind of really excited to see the, these encounter players, some of them brand new to D&D, get above fourth level. So let me ask you guys a question. What are you planning on doing, right? The encounter season, it sounds like you had momentum, everything's going strong, a lot of new players showing up, that sort of thing. What do you plan to do as people then progress along this Horde of the Dragon Queen path? And like you said, Topher, get above fourth level. If a new player walks in and wants to play D&D, what is your plan? Uh, obviously, they right now with the Adventurers League rules, they have to start at first level. So, so what's the plan uh, for for these guys? Do you just have them jump in with a high level group and and hope that they don't get hit by that dragon breath weapon? Is that the plan, or do you have a a low level table, or do you do something different entirely, Topher? So I've talked to my DMs about this. There's been an email chain, and we're going to start them off at first level. But there's a story element we're adding to it that they um, that the group, the higher level group, has found this newbie adventurer. Mm. You know, they 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 just decided they wanted to go out on their own and be an adventurer, and they got in over their head. Nice. And so the the group, it, it's up to the group to protect this level one character for a while. I'm gonna suspend the whole you can't level unless you get a long rest for those characters and have them kind of power level a little bit. Oh, nice. To get them up. But that's that's kind of our story element is that, you know, here's these seasoned adventurers at level five going out into the world and they run into a, you know, guy who just bought his first sword and armor and and all of a sudden finds himself in a in a dragon cache and goes, okay, well, uh, this is bad. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> and so that's why we're going to run in. Hopefully that works well. And hopefully the new players coming in kind of enjoy that part. But yeah. we'll, we'll find out. You know, I think we're trying it out. And if it doesn't work, we'll think of something next season. So many of the players in my store only play in my store never go to conventions they never go to other stores uh they only play D at my store for those players we've got pre-generated high level characters which i know technically goes against uh the guidelines for adventurers league um but we found that uh we tried doing them starting them at low level and they just weren't having fun they really felt like they were significantly hampered uh compared to the rest of the party. And we don't want to do that. Our goal with this is to help people have fun with this. Um, if there have been people that have said, hey, you know what, I'm thinking about maybe going to a convention or something as well, um, our DMs that get experience for all of their, every time they DM and whatnot, um, have also had characters that they've been able to level up that they can provide if somebody needs an you know, Adventurer's League official character that's still going to be at a comparable level um they can take one of those and and use that uh in encounters as well uh and that's that's been kind of how we've been dealing with it um it's it's i know we're we're cheating the system and whatnot but uh it's allowed for more of our players to have fun with it and i think that seems uh most appropriate at least at least at my tables mike as a store owner what can wizards do and what can players do to make sure that the encounters program continues to thrive as it has been doing? And what, what do you hope to see as a store owner uh, continue and change? 
you know, early on, back when they made the announcement of 5th edition, they talked a certain game up about how important encounters play would be for the players to uh, influence the world around them. Um, uh, in my mind, and this is kind of dating me a little bit, but I, I kind of had the, like the Torg Infiniverse kind of thing in my head, where you'd be playing a game and you'd answer some stuff on the questionnaire depending on how the uh, sessions went, and that would be going into them, and they collate all this information and uh it would reflect in the uh the pros and the upcoming storylines of everything that they wanted to do um i think that if you want people to continue to be excited and you want people to continue to uh uh come at uh encounters with a uh a fervor like they did early on i think that maybe you need to start doing something like that i think that you need to prove that uh what they're doing and how they're playing influences uh upcoming events as well um as far as uh individual players go uh just just keep coming in uh you know um the feedback that we get from the players on whether they enjoy encounters or not uh is what i need to know to continue to provide the tools necessary to grow the community and to uh keep providing a place for everybody to play um as long as people are happy I'd always be happy to provide a place for them. Cool. Well, guys, I think that is going to do it for this edition of the Roundtable. Topher, where can people find you? Uh, They can find me on the Twitters at TopherATL, also on the Facebook at TopherATL, and on the Google Plus at TopherATL, and every Wednesday and occasional Saturdays and Sundays at Titans Games and Comics in Smyrna, Georgia. Come say hi to us. Which is, of course, where they can also find Mike. But, Mike, where else can people find you? Uh, people can uh, get in touch with me either through the store's website. That would be titangamesandcomics.com. Titan Games and Comics, all one word. Um, they can also find us at, the, uh, at our Facebook, uh, Titan uh, Smyrna, uh, one word again. Uh, and, uh, you know, stop by the store. Say hi. Keep supporting your local friendly game store. Keep supporting your local friendly game store. Yes, we can't stress that enough. Go. Those places are meccas for creating new gamers. So you must support your local game store if you want your hobby to remain supported. Uh, Joe, where can people find you? Um, Every Monday and Wednesday night, I am at Modern Myths in Northampton, Massachusetts. uh, And... Online, I write for a site called actsofgeek.com, where I do D&D stuff and also some Doctor Who stuff and some other stuff. So it's a lot of geeky stuff up there. Um, And also occasionally at uh, the store's website, modern-myths.com. All right. And people, if you have a question or topic you'd like to hear us discuss on the roundtable, reach out to me on Twitter at James Intracasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Or you can leave us a comment on the Tome Show's website, thetomeshow.com. And a quick shameless plug for me, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age. It's the fifth edition world I'm building. It's over at worldbuilderblog.me. Okay, everyone, thanks for listening, and thanks to Topher, Joe, and Mike. Many thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or D&D Classics to help support the show. And if you like the show, please rate The Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. 
keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.